Now, we're going to get into our message this morning. Uh, We're in a series called Growing Young. And as we've been saying, that is not to be mistaken as forgetting about older people and only focusing on young people. That is, in fact, that is the opposite of what we're trying to say. What we're saying is how very important those who are older in the faith are as part of this church or any church because it is from you that the faith is going to be passed on to those who are younger. So intergenerational connection is how God has designed his church. And we're grateful for every person who's part of that intergenerational mix here. Now this morning our title is uh, prioritizing, prioritizing young people. Now we've been defining young people as between the ages of 13 and 29. So just for our working hypothesis in this series of messages. Uh, And by prioritizing, what we mean this morning is creating space within our church family for young people to do what we might usually think of an older person doing. But we want to open up the doors for young people to step up and utilize those gifts that God has given. So that's what we're going to be exploring together this morning, how we can continue to do that and maybe do that better than we've ever done it before. But just before we get into that, I want to ask two of our young people to come and join me. That would be Luke Boyer and Celia Carey. So would you welcome Luke and Celia as they come? All right. Okay. Now, I have just two or three questions for each of them. And the first one I'm going to give to Luke. Uh, One of the things we've been really working on here is we're going to prioritize youth and empathize. We've got to understand them, right? So I learned recently that Luke knows how to floss. Now, (laughs) all right. Now, for those of you that are, okay. For those of you that are probably 50 and over, maybe even 40 and over, flossing is something we do with our teeth, right? Okay. Well, there's a new definition, entirely unrelated definition to flossing. And uh, so Luke, I've heard, is an expert. And so I've asked Luke if he would just take a moment and give us all a lesson today. All right, Luke, go after it. Go for it. All right. Now, Celia, can you do that? All right. (laughs) I can't, okay? But Luke, great job. Now, I'm going to come back to Luke in just a second with a question, okay? Now, here's a question for Celia. I'm going to give you this microphone, Celia. And, uh, yeah, step step up this way a little bit, you guys. Closer. Luke, yeah, step right there. There we go. Make sure you're in the light. All right, Celia, uh, here's the question. Uh, Can you share a time when an adult, uh, other than your mom and dad, made you feel uh, like you were really important, uh, that you really mattered, they saw your gifts, their abilities, and, and uh, gave you opportunities. So uh, who would that person be, and can you tell us how that, how that made you feel, just being uh, viewed uh, by an older adult who noticed you and, and made you feel like they saw something really important in you? My first to eighth grade music teacher, Mrs. Randolph, was just a constant support, and she 
She was always encouraging me to pursue music, and besides that, the subject that she taught me music, she encouraged me to look at some of the technology that she had. She had a lot of music technology and just different programs that really interested me in technology and using it for things other than video games. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she was also my choir teacher, and it made me feel really special when she had to leave the room sometimes, and so for choir warm-ups, she would let me lead them. So that made me feel like I was more than just another kid she had to deal with. She had a lot. All right. And when did you say that that began? When did she first give you those opportunities? Uh, it was around fifth grade, fifth because grade. that was when. And what grade are you in now? I'm, uh, eight, I'm in 10th grade <laughs> <Okay>. now. <laughs> So, all right, so that's been a, a lasting influence, a big impact mm -hmm. upon your life, just because your teacher saw you and, and noticed you. All right, all right, great. Well, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask that same question to Luke. Hey, Luke, in, uh, in addition to dad and mom, who has been a person in your life that made you, that really noticed you and made you feel very, very valued and very important? Hold that mic up nice and close. Whenever I share a answer in math, my teacher, she tells everybody to listen up to what I have to say about my answer, and it just makes me feel like I can share what I know about math. All right, excellent. That, that's, that's tremendous. She's giving you the opportunity in front of the class to share a skill you have, and that's a great skill to have, all right? Mathematics, that's a good one, Luke. Okay, here's another question, uh, Celia. Uh, most of the people on the worship teams that we have here at Calvary Church are older than you. In fact, I'm, I was thinking about this. I think maybe you're the youngest on our worship team. I'm not sure about that. Randy can correct me on that. Okay, or I'm, I'm right. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, so how, did, um, how did it make you feel when this opportunity to play the keyboards on one of the worship teams, that opened up for you and this ministry was entrusted to you even though you are the youngest person on the team. How, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it made me feel very valued because I, I got the opportunity to do that when there's many other people who can play the keyboard here. But I was the youngest, probably most inexperienced with playing piano, but I got that opportunity anyways. Um, All right. I, I, I learned that the music team puts in a lot of work like I learned on Saturdays, you have to be up really early, like eight o'clock, <laughs> eight o'clock to be up here and practicing, so right. it sounds really good yeah. on Sundays. <laughs> All right, see, and we're grateful that you are using your gifts there. Luke, um, let's see, Luke, I heard that you are a leader on Wednesday night at our Awana program. You work with the boys, the girls down there, and uh, so uh, what do you do? What do you do down there? to help the kids? I tell them to, sometimes I work with their verses that they have okay. in Sparks, because I start out with Sparks, and I tell them, um, yeah, I work with them with their verses. Okay. Uh, I can check them off. Excellent, all right. And, and then, yeah, go right ahead. For Cubbies, I, that's like the second half I help out with games sometimes, and it's kind of harder with cubbies. They're just younger, and sometimes they just don't understand. Sometimes they just run around the place. <laughs> okay. So. 
All right. Okay, Luke. Well, hey, uh, yeah, well, I really appreciate you guys coming up here just to give us a little glimpse into how God's blessing your lives and how you are, how you're feeling like uh, some older people have recognized you and are placing some priority on what they see in your lives. So let's, walk, let's show our appreciation once again. Thank you, guys. Okay. Now, um, so on this whole idea of prioritizing young people, you know, nobody prioritized young people more than Jesus did. When Jesus made the biggest decision of his ministry, he staked it. He put it upon the shoulders of young people. That's what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Let me read this for you. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So who were these 12 chosen to become the foundational leaders of the church? Well, they were 12 young people between probably the ages, scholars think, of 18 and the early 20s. They were all young adults. Now, they happened all to be young adult guys. And why is that? Well, Jesus came into the world and he worked within the culture of the times into which he came. But the message that he gave his disciples to preach and teach had in it the seeds of breaking down all kinds of walls and barriers and customs. So eventually, so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is everything I say here today about prioritizing young people applies equally to women as well as it does to men. But how do we know that they were that young? Okay, well, in those days, a man was eligible to marry at age 18. And the only one of the 12 that the New, Te New Testament mentions as being married yet, anyway, was Peter. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So we know Peter was married, but there's no wife talked about any of the others. Uh, indicates that they were still pretty young. Education for a Jewish child concluded at age 15. After age 15, education took the form of becoming an apprentice, e either to the parent or to uh, another uh, leader, uh, tradesmen in the community. And when Jesus called the disciples, all of them, perhaps with the exception of Matthew, he found them in the apprentice stage of their lives, uh, being fishermen, etc. And that's when Jesus called them. So they were probably, that indicates they were still pretty young. And then Jesus was 30 when he called them, the age at which a person in the Jewish culture anyway would be recognized as a rabbi, age 30. And a rabbi's students were almost always younger than the rabbi. So we're talking here mainly about single young men, young people that Jesus called. 
to be his apostles. Now, this passage shows, passage shows us three ways that Jesus prioritized young people. Number one, Jesus invested the gift of prayer in young people. And you know, Jesus never, ever wasted time on any meaningless religious activity. He would never, never commit himself to waste time doing something just, just as a form, a religious form. And so when it says in our text that Jesus prayed, spent an entire night, maybe 8, 10, 12 hours in prayer, Jesus, in other words, is telling us that Jesus valued prayer. It wasn't just some religious activity he was engaging in. It, may, it brought results. And so this is what he did. Now, there are probably several times in the New Testament, probably several times in Jesus' ministry, when he spent an entire night in prayer. But there's only one of those all-night prayer times that's mentioned in the New Testament. And it is this particular night when he prayed for these young men that were going to be taking the role of becoming the future leaders, the foundational leaders of the mission of the church for, you know, down through the centuries. They were the core guys. And so as Jesus was praying, what was it he was praying? What was he saying? What was he, how was he praying for them? I think we get a hint three years later when Jesus, uh, on the night of his uh, trials, his unjust trials, uh, he told Peter how he was praying for the disciples. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon. Now he says, he calls Peter Simon, which was his given name. He, he says it to him twice. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, Simon, look, listen to what I'm about to say. And this is what Jesus says. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now, what does it mean to be sifted like wheat? Well, here's a description of what the ancient grain sifting system looked like. It happened on a threshing floor. A threshing floor was a flat area of hard dirt or rock where, where, he, where the grain would be piled. And at the threshing floor, the wheat stalks were first beaten and trampled on in order to loosen the inedible shaft from the pure wheat. Now, sometimes, in order to do a good job, farmers would bring in cows, donkeys, and even oxen, and they would walk around trampling on that grain and just making sure that they separate the wheat from the shaft. Uh, some farmers owned a sled-type device that had pieces of metal or stone set into the bottom of it. And this device would be pulled by an animal across the wheat stalks over and over again to speed up the work. So in other words, this grain was taking a beating. Now the threshing was followed by the winnowing where they would take a fork and just start throwing it up into the air to sort of blow the, the shaft away and the wheat would fall back down onto the threshing floor. But, that, but it, the process was, wasn't over yet. So when the wheat was ready to be sifted further to purify it, uh, they would purify it from the dirt, the dust, the pebbles. The sifting was done by a sieve. Now, a sieve was a round, somewhat large filtering device, usually two or three feet in diameter, 
The sides were made of wood, and its bottom was made of wooden reeds, uh, reeds woven grasses, wood, uh, woven wood. After placing a small amount of wheat into the sieve, the worker, okay, this is, the worker would take it and violently shake the sieve to create the sifting dynamic. Uh, consequently, the good part of the wheat collected itself in the bottom center of the sieve. Now, so, when Jesus says to his disciples, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. That's what he was saying. Uh, Satan wants to take and pound you, trample on you. He wants, to, he wants to violently take your life and shake it until it comes unglued and falls apart in pieces. Now, the highest priority we can place on a person and on a young person is praying for them like Jesus did. And if ever those who are older in the faith, the spiritual fathers and mothers in our church family, if ever they, we, needed to pray for the youth of our church family, it would be now. Because Satan is still passionate about destroying people and especially destroying them early in life. If Satan can rip a young person's life apart, he's got a head start on the rest of their days. Doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that, uh, that, that God can't step in. He certainly does and he certainly can and there are testimonies in this room to that effect. But Satan has his eye on youth. Now, and I know that there are some youth in this room today, young adults, that are probably fighting big spiritual battles in your life. Satan wants to destroy you. I know that there are some parents in this room today who are grieving as they pray over a child or perhaps a couple children that have that are walking away from God and just pushing everything they've learned about God, just pushing it away. It's a spiritual battle. And there's a huge spiritual battle being waged right now for our youth. And so what I would like to do before we go any further in this message this morning, I would just like us to stop and do what Jesus is calling us to do. I would like us to stop right here in the sermon, and, and I want to lead us in a prayer, but I'd ask you to follow with me. And I want to pray specifically this morning. I want us to pray specifically this morning for our youth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you today because, Lord, we're not blind to this fact that Satan is a roaring lion. He is out to, to devour and to destroy. Lord, we know that uh, his plans, his designs for youth are to destroy. Now, Lord, we're asking this morning as a church, we're, we're joining together our prayer. We're praying for, with, alongside of every parent in this room today, or grandparent, who is in spiritual battle on behalf of one of their children who may be, may be caught in Satan's blindness or caught in Satan's habits or caught in, in, the, in, in demonic power, Lord, that is destroying their lives. And Father, sometimes when we see this happening, Lord, we feel completely helpless. But Lord, we are not helpless. No more than you were helpless when you were praying for, for Peter and the other 12 who Satan was targeting. 
And so, Lord, this morning, we're calling upon the name of Jesus Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And I pray, Lord, as you look at every heart and mind of every adult, every parent in this room, and the name of that young person that is on their heart right now, Holy Spirit, join us in prayer. Reach out. Continue to work in that young person's life. Break Satan's bondages, Lord, and show the mighty power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to completely transform the most broken and the most bound and addicted, the most addicted of all persons. Jesus Christ has power to turn that life around. And Father, we're trusting you for that this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for every young person that you have blessed our church with. And help us, Lord, who are older in the faith and have greater experience in the faith, help us, Lord, to take notice of them And help us, Lord, to prioritize them in our prayers. And we give you praise for this. We thank you for this in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. So, I believe this, that when we make our first priority uh, to be prayer, that that is going to open up the door to show us some other ways to prioritize our youth. And I think there's a second one here that Jesus shows us. Uh, Jesus invested the gift of opportunity in young people. Because after he spent that night in prayer, uh, Jesus took some action. He chose the 12. He appointed them to the ministry of being apostles. The word apostle means one who is sent on a mission. And he did this even though he knew they lacked experience. Even though he knew they had a lot to learn, even though they knew he knew they had a lot of rough edges, he still called them and gave them this gift of opportunity. Now, there were probably a lot of people from the community who knew these 12 guys who may have thought Jesus was making a really unwise decision here to take unseasoned, untrained young people and give them such heavy responsibility. And we might... We might see how some of the people thought that. You know, think about Peter. Peter had a big disease. He had foot and mouth disease. Uh, Peter had huge ego problems. Uh, He was getting himself into trouble with Jesus all the time. Now, his brother Andrew was the opposite. The picture we get of Andrew in the New Testament is that Andrew was very much an introverted person. He was very shy and backward. And so here you have Jesus. He chooses Peter, who's the extroverted, extreme extrovert, and he takes his brother Andrew, who is probably on the other side of the spectrum, just a very introverted person, and then he calls uh, James and John two hotheads, who when they were in the village, one of the villages of Samaria, they asked Jesus, should we call fire down and just burn this village up? Uh, Jesus named them the Sons of Thunder, nickname. Then he called uh, Matthew. Now, this is strange. Okay, Matthew was a tax collector working for Rome, and all the Jewish people hated him. Okay, but Jesus also called a guy named Simon the Zealot. Simon was a radical Jewish nationalist. (laughs) So he had Matthew and he had Simon in this same band of 12 people who, who normally would have been at each other's throats. He had Thomas, skeptical, tended toward pessimism. And then, of course, Judas, 
who had some big character issues that showed themselves at the end of the game. But Jesus gave all of these guys opportunity because he saw in each of them the potential for which they were created. He saw past their youthfulness and their inexperience. And here's what I like about Jesus, and this is still true. Uh, Jesus saw them for who they would be, for who they would become. And I think that's a great thing. Every young person in this church, every young person in this community needs older followers of Jesus who see them for who they can be, who see in them the seed of a divine calling that needs some older spiritual farmers with experience in the faith to come and help that seed grow. And that leads to the third investment that Jesus made in the 12. He invested the, what I would call the gift of mentoring. We might want to call it coaching. Now, in Mark's record of this all-night prayer time that Jesus had when he chose the 12, Mark adds two important words that Luke doesn't give us about what took place there. Here's how Mark says it in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. And those are two very important words. What it tells us is that Jesus prioritized these young people in prayer. That's the first thing he did. Then he prioritized them by giving them an opportunity to serve, but then he took it to the next level. He prioritized them by taking time to be with them. He invited them to know him. He invited them into his life to spend time with him. And what were the results of that mentoring? Well, Each of the 12, with the exception of Judas, who went on to betray Jesus, went on to do things for God that no one who knew them would ever have thought possible. For instance, Peter spread the good news all the way from Jerusalem to Rome and was so committed to that good news that he was crucified for his faith upside down around A.D. 66. Shy Andrew shared Jesus in what is today's, uh, what would have been the Soviet Union, Russia. And then he went to Asia Minor, Asia, Asia Minor, Turkey, and Greece. And in Greece, he was crucified. And then skeptic Thomas shared Jesus in Syria. And then he traveled all the way to India. And he died there when four soldiers put their spears into him. Philip shared Jesus in North Africa and in Asia Minor, where after the wife of the Roman leader in the area came to Christ, the Roman leader had him killed by being hung. And then Matthew shared Jesus in Persia, today's Iran, and Ethiopia. And this is sort of tough, but where uh, Bartholomew was flayed to death, or no, uh, Matthew was stabbed to death. Now Bartholomew shared Jesus in India and Armenia, where he was flayed to death with knives. So we get the picture here that in three years of prioritizing these young adults and mentoring them and pouring into them, 
their lives were shaped and molded into dynamic, absolutely 100% committed followers of Jesus Christ who, who changed the world. Let's go on. Uh, James, the brother of John, he shared the gospel in Judea, and he became the first one to be put to death. He was put to death by the sword of Herod. And then uh, James, son of Alphaeus, he shared the gospel in Syria, where he was beaten to death ultimately with clubs. Thaddeus shared Jesus around the Euphrates River area, and he was killed by being shot with arrows. Simon the Zealot shared Jesus and died as a martyr. We don't know exactly how. John, the apostle, shared Christ in Judea and Asia, and then he was exiled to a, an island called Patmos for, for many, many years. But he's the only one of those 12 who died a natural death, and that was when he was up in his 90s. Now, it was the mentoring of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that brought these young people to depth and devotion in Christ and made them world changers. And I believe that there are young world changers right here in this church family who need those who are older to come alongside of them. We have world changers downstairs right now in kids' church. We have some world changers, world-changing young people seated right here in this room with us this morning. And one of the greatest needs they have from this church, older generations of believers who see them, see them for who they are today and see in them what they're going to be in the kingdom of God. If we as a church step up and reach out to them and pour our lives into them, now, we already have a list of some young people between the ages of 13 and 29 that have expressed the desire, this, this very thing I'm talking about, they've already expressed, they've already signed up for on a list, some older people from our church to take time to sit down and connect with them. Uh, and, some, and some of our older ones have already signed up. We have some people in their 30s and 40s that have signed up, and we're grateful for that. Uh, we would like to see some people in their 50s and older uh, also say, hey, I'm gonna, I'd be willing to sit down, be paired up. It'll be gender-based, you know, gender uh, but just an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation. Maybe that would take place at Starbucks over coffee. Maybe it's going to be at McDonald's or Dunkin' Donut or something like that. Uh, not complicated, nothing to be scared about, just an opportunity to sit down and I think great opportunity to share stories with each other. Tell, you know, young people like to hear, our grandkids were with us this week and uh, this past week from Seattle, our youngest grandkids, uh, Ada and Archie. And uh, one of the things Ada loves right now is she likes to hear her dad sit down and tell stories about when he was a kid. And so she came up to me this week and she said, uh, she asked me to sit down and tell her some stories from when I was a kid. So I cranked out three or four stories. She wanted them to be funny ones, you know, <laughs> goofy things that I did. Uh, and I didn't have too much trouble coming up with something. So, but, and so we had a great time just laughing together and bonding and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and that's, that's the sharing of stories, opening of hearts. That's where human bonding takes place. And so, we're, so as a church, if we can bridge this gap and just place that value 
uh, priority upon our young people, man, then I'll tell you what, one of the most important things we could possibly do, right up there with Jesus praying all night for these young people that he was prioritizing, that's what, that's the impact of that. So, if you, as an older person in the faith, uh, would like to have that opportunity to be paired up with some of these youth that are already on the list waiting for that to happen, uh, we have a growing young uh, list or, uh, in, in the uh, lobby today. Pastor Chris is going to be standing by it. And if you would like to put your name there, then he will, get, he will facilitate this pairing, this getting this worked out. And uh, so, and we're not just doing this because it's all part of our series and we tried to think of something we should have everyone do, okay? That's not why the, we want this to become part of the culture of our church. Even though this series is ending today, we don't want this vision to end today. We want this to be planted in the seed, in, in the life of this church. And I believe it already is planted. I'm grateful for the investment that this church is making in youth. I am so grateful for it. I just think, hey, we can, we can go further. We can do even more in this area. So, uh, so we can have an influence, a great influence. Now, I would say, oh, I wanted to throw this in here too. As far as one mentoring environment that exists for our youth, we have moved our junior, senior high ministry to Sunday evenings. And that was done strategically so that we could create a a mentoring environment for the youth of our church. So that's what that Sunday evening youth time is all about. It's about mentoring, shaping young people. And I want to say to parents, please make that Sunday evening youth gathering high priority for for your young person. Please encourage them to be present. Uh, it'll be relevant to them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to connect with youth and where they're at, but it's also going to have depth to it. It's going to shape and mold in ways that are age-friendly age for them. And uh, so parents, inc- bring them or encourage them to be very consistent and to be part of that. Now, uh, in a moment, uh, we're going to uh, pray. And we're just sort of going to bring this to closure this morning. Uh, So the series ends this morning, but this series, like everything we seek to do here at Calvary, Jesus is at the very center of it all. Because Jesus is the only one in history, he's the only one in the universe, who came into this world to be the savior of us all, old or young. He is the only one who bore your sins and my sins on the cross. He is the only one who took all of your sufferings and my sufferings and my wounds. He took them upon himself on the cross. And our part is to come to the place where we personally, seriously and personally place our faith in him and receive him as our Savior. And our situation without Jesus is serious because we are lost in this world and in the world to come. We are lost if we do not have Jesus in our lives. 
He died on the cross. He went all the way to the extent of the cross so that everyone in this room, young or old, we would have the opportunity to say, Lord, I know I have sinned. I have done wrong in your sight. And I'm lost without you because of my sins. But I believe that Jesus died for my sins on that cross and I receive him as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. If you're here today and you've never taken that first most important step to know Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you today. Where you're seated right now, form that prayer in your heart and say, Lord, I receive you as my Savior today. Forgive me of my sins. And I give you all of my wounds and my sufferings, Lord. I'm going to trust you as the one who's going to be with me as I go through pain. And you're going to heal my life. Take that step today. I want to encourage you. And if you take that step this morning, would you, uh, you could acknowledge that. uh, Put a little note on the connect card. You can drop it back there. We'll be praying for you that God will help you grow in that commitment that you've made to Christ. So, uh, I want to pray right now. And if you have, uh, if you're making that decision this morning, I'm going to be especially remembering you in this prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world because we were completely flat out lost. We were a mess, Lord. Lord, I pray for any person in this room this morning, young or old, who for the first time ever in their life is following the the tugging of the Holy Spirit on their heart to receive Jesus as their Savior. Maybe there's someone who's who's been in church all their life and it's just been a a, a belief, a, a, a dead religion. Lord, I pray today that it will become living truth, the truth of the living Christ in their heart as they open up their soul and receive you, Lord. I pray that in the name of Jesus today, Lord and that you will reveal your presence to them. And that that brand new second beginning in life, they will experience that today. And Heavenly Father, we give you praise for this, and we pray these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen.